Here we go. You are listening to the 10 After 7 podcast with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. It's episode 39, so let's start by shouting out one of the greatest catchers in Major League history, one of the greatest Brooklyn Dodgers to ever don the uniform. Yes, that's Roy Campanella, an eight-time All-Star, a three-time National League MVP, and a World Series champion. Unfortunately, his career was cut short by an automobile accident, but we will never forget number 39, Roy Campanella, because his numbers were tired forever at Dodger Stadium. And now we begin with this podcast, and this podcast is about one thing, and probably one thing only, and that's it's Friday, October 9th, and if you haven't already, go to the local liquor store, go to a 7-Eleven, go to a CBS, I don't care, wherever there is alcohol, beer especially, buy a six-pack. Buy a 12-pack, buy an 18, buy a 30, and make sure to split it all around with your bros because it's Victory Friday. The Los Angeles Lakers have a chance to close out the Miami Heat tonight in Game 5 and get their 17th franchise NBA championship. That would tie the hated Boston Celtics. So pass the victory beers around to every single person you know. We all know what happened earlier this season when the tragic death of Kobe Bryant happened. And then coronavirus cut the season short. And then the Los Angeles Lakers said, we're going to do this for Kobe. And that's exactly what they fucking did. They have a chance to close out the Miami Heat tonight. And I'm going to be ecstatic when they do. Because I'm going to be with my friends. And we're going to celebrate a championship that we have not had in 10 years. And people could call Laker fans spoiled all they want. But 10 years is a long time. 10 years ago, I was in high school. Now I'm 28 years old, and I remember each and every time the Lakers won championships when I was in high school, where I was, who I was with, and it was one of the funnest times I've ever had in life, celebrating a championship of your favorite team with your friends. Those were the prime years. Your prime years as a sports fan are in high school, and I had a hell of a prime with the Los Angeles Lakers winning a couple of NBA championships when I was in high school loving basketball and having the greatest time with my friends and drinking when I was underage. Because that's what we do. And we celebrated those titles. And tonight, we're going back to a place where we celebrated a couple of those titles. And I'm fired up for it. And I'm going to be there with a 12-pack. And I'm going to probably throw beers at people. I'm going to probably douse people with beers when the Lakers end up winning a championship. And they can't lose tonight. They cannot lose tonight. They're wearing the Black Mamba jerseys for Kobe Bryant. And it's an NBA championship. Say what you want about it. It is an NBA title. And it's a 17th one in ties the Boston Celtics. They can't even hang that over our heads. And I think we got LeBron, and if Anthony Davis signs up, there's going to be a couple of more championships coming our way. But there's another reason for victory beers. And you know I got my Dodger hat on. I'm going to be sporting this thing all the way every day. That's basically what I have done. But in October, things are heightened. Listen, I'm not even drinking coffee at this point because I don't even need coffee in the month of October, because I know I'm going to wake up each morning knowing the Dodgers have a playoff game, whether they're coming off a win, coming off a loss. I just don't need coffee. I'm living off the game the night before. And today, I'm living off the Dodgers, completing a three-game sweep of the San Diego Padres in a best-of-five National League Division series. Yes, that's right, the San Diego Padres. 
the darlings of Major League Baseball, the guys who like to have fun, the young kids, the Slam Diego Padres. They hit grand slams in four consecutive games this year. No one's ever done that. And they love to bat flip when their teams are behind because they want to fire up their guys. But it didn't work against the Dodgers. They forgot they were playing the team that has owned the division the last eight seasons, has one of the most feared lineups in all of baseball, and has a couple of horses on that mound that are going to shut you down. A couple of points. I'm going to go over each three games. And here's why I'm going to go over three games. And here's why baseball has had my heart over probably any other sport there is. And probably has broken my heart more times than any other sport. That's definitely true. But here's why I love baseball so much. In the game of baseball, you can literally go back to an at-bat maybe that took place in the second inning at the end of the game and go, you know what? If that at-bat goes differently, even that pitch, if that pitch is just a more an inch, an inch off the corner, this game could have ended with a different result. And with other sports like football or basketball, love them to death. But the last five minutes of the fourth quarter are usually what we talk about the following day. The last five minutes when a quarterback's driving down the field trying to get his team ahead. Or the last five minutes of a basketball team, possession for possession, you're breaking it down. Should LeBron James have passed the ball? Should he have shot it at the end of this game? Have you ever said if LeBron James maybe made this three-pointer with five minutes left to go in the second quarter, maybe things would have been different. You never, ever uttered those words. It's always the last five minutes of the game, but not in baseball. It's an at-bat. It's a pitch. It's a play that happened in the second inning, first inning, third inning, fifth inning, every inning of the game. You could go back to a certain play. And each one of these three games had a moment that way. Every baseball game unfolds where you could look back at a moment that you, would, you thought would have changed the game. So here we go. I want to start by saying the Dodgers outscored the Padres in these three games 23-9. to I want to start by saying Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado, two great players. Seriously, they're phenomenal. They're fun to watch. They hit the ball far. They launch their bats even farther. And you know what they combined for in this series? They combined to go four for 23. They each had two hits. So let's start with game one. Walker Bueller's on the mound. We know he's dealt with a blister issue. We don't know how far or how deep he's going to go into this game. Well, Walker Bueller ends up throwing 95 pitches, gutted, gutted this one out. And he pitched good, kept the game close. San Diego had a 1-0 lead that seemed that it was going to stay because the Dodgers couldn't find a way to get on base or find a way to hit the ball where the Padres weren't. But then things changed. But if I'm going to look back at any point in this game, it's that second inning when Walker Bueller actually walked the bases loaded and found a way to get out of it. But if he doesn't find a way to get out of it and the San Diego Padres maybe go up three, four runs, this game's different. So Walker Bueller, 95 pitches in game one. Dodgers are down one nothing, and in the sixth inning, things changed. Cody Bellinger hits a sharp ground ball to second base. He's running, hustling it out. San Diego Padres make an error. Ball gets through first base. Bellinger's on. And then the Dodgers end up scoring four runs in the sixth inning. And the best part about it is they didn't probably barrel one ball up in that entire inning. And that's when you see the Dodgers on base shaking their hands like they hurt. 
That's their signal for barrels are overrated. All they worry about is scoring runs, and if you hit one off the end of your bat, if you hit one off the hands and a run scores, so be it. Barrels are overrated. So four runs in the sixth inning. The Dodgers finally break it open a little bit. And then four relievers piggybacking Walker Bueller shut down the Padres for the next five inning. Dodgers win 5-1. to one. But That key moment, that second inning when Walker Bueller walks the bases loaded. As a Dodger fan, you probably were like, holy shit, if Walker Bueller's not on. And the first one we got to get. The first game in any series is probably the most important. You want to get up on someone 1-0. Put the pressure on their end. But Bueller found a way to get it out, get out of it. And like I said, 95 pitches, that's pretty encouraging. Bueller's probably going to go game one in the next series. So the Dodgers take a 1-0 lead, and then game two, probably one of the most exciting games we have seen in Dodger playoff history. Clayton Kershaw takes the ball. We all know he's coming off of a fantastic, awesome performance against the Milwaukee Brewers. Probably the best we've seen him pitch in the last three years. Strikes out 13, goes eight shutout innings, and he downplayed it saying, you know what, the real playoffs start when we go to Texas and take on San Diego for five games. So Kershaw, he pitched well enough. Pitched well enough to win the game. He allowed three runs over six innings. Was missing bats per usual like we've seen him the last couple of starts basically this year. And the Dodgers have a 4-3 to three lead. Here's the key moment in this one. And it's probably one of the most miraculous plays you've ever seen. If no one, if you were just, I always think about this because people always talk about baseball ratings and how to get young viewership to baseball games. And there's a couple of games where I'm like, damn, I hope someone watched their first baseball game and this was the game they were watching. Game two, because it had everything. It had fireworks, it had home runs, it had robberies. Let's go. So Bellinger hits a home run early in that game. And the funny thing is, is my boss, who's an Angel fan, asked me literally when the Dodger game started, hey, is Cody Bellinger as good as people say he is? And I kind of sat there for a second and I was like, "Eh." he did win an MVP last year. And he also did win a Rookie of the Year. He's been great two out of the three years he's been here. But this year we got Moogie Betts, we got Corey Seager, we got Justin Turner. Bellinger's probably maybe the fifth best player on this team. So I was like, ah, he's not too great. And she's also an Angel fan, so I was thinking she was trying to say people were comparing him to Trout, which he shouldn't be compared to Trout. No one should get that honor. Not yet. So Bellinger hits a home run in this game right after she asked me that. So I'm like, okay, let's go. Kick him in the butt. That's what happens. And then a 4-3 to three game, Brewster Gratterall on the mound, and Fernando Tatis at the plate. Next pitch, Fernando Tatis hits what's going to be, looks like it's going to be an absolute shot. Dead center field. Bellinger's playing center. Goes back on it. It looks like it's as if it's going to go over the fence. Everyone at the brewery I work at was standing up like, oh my God. The guy was a Padres fan. He stood up. He was like, oh my God, this could take the lead. Runners were on. And then Bellinger absolutely tracked it the way an outfielder should track it. Looked over one shoulder, looked over the next. At the very last second, leaped up above the wall and brought that shit back. Brought it back. And I lost my shit at work. For a second, I wasn't even working. I was screaming going, yes! My fandom took over. I was so fired up. It was one of the best catches I've seen. So Bellinger catches it. Doesn't even show the ball at first. Throws up a one finger, like number one. Let's go. 
chest bumps Chris Taylor out in the outfield. And while this is all going down, Brewster Gratterall, who just had thought he'd given up a bomb, finds out Cody Bellinger makes the catch. Gratterall off the mound, chucks his glove, then throws his hat. And then Manny Machado, who in any earlier took Kershaw deep, and then looked at his dugout and chucked his bat saying, let's fucking go try to wake them up a little bit. Manny Machado staring at Gratterall the whole time and then he's MFing him saying, what the, f- I'll have you next inning. We'll see what can happens. Gratterall, young kid that he is, looks at Machado, blows him a kiss. All the Dodgers are coming out of the dugout saying, get the f- back to Machado. Get the f- back in your dugout. You just threw your bat. We can't celebrate our guy for making a hell of a catch and saving the game for us. Go back in your dugout. So that all happens. They break it down on replay the next inning. Everyone's chirping. F-bombs are being thrown. But all while we, all this is going on, the Dodgers know they have a 4-3 lead. And Bellinger's catch is forever embedded in Dodger history. You knew it was a where were you moment. These happen all the time. Where were you when this happened? A couple of years ago, in 2018, Chris Taylor had a similar catch in Game 7 of the NLCS when Julio Arias was on the mound. And Chris Taylor ran what seemed like two miles to make a diving stop and save the Dodgers' asses in that one. And I can tell you exactly where I was at. I was at my buddy Ryan Music's engagement party. Wherever that was in Santa Monica, they had a big projector screen. And I lost my mind then. Because if that ball drops, Brewers take the lead, and that's game seven. Dodgers probably don't go on to play in the World Series. So I know forever I was at work. I'm going to tell people, probably my kids one day, hey, Bellinger, look at this catch. This happened in game two, 2020, NLCS against San Diego Padres. I was at work. I was supposed to be serving beers, but I lost my mind for a good minute when this play happened on the TV. So that's the play that could have changed it all. Padres hit that home run. Padres go up in this one. They probably end up winning that game. And all of a sudden, we got a best of five series tied at one game apiece. Well, the Dodgers ended up winning that game six to five. And a very important note, this is huge in this game. Kenley Jansen got brought in in the ninth inning. And I said this week on the podcast, one thing the Dodgers have to do is get a comfortable enough lead when Kenley Jansen comes into the game. So we had a couple runs to work with. And Jansen could not get it done. Gave up two runs in the ninth inning. And Jansen, I don't think we ever see him pitching a meaningful ninth inning again as a Dodger. And he's been the closer for the last seven years. It's okay to say you're a Kenley Jansen fan, but we just simply don't trust him at this point in his career. But what he's done for the Dodgers over the last seven years has the most saves in Dodger history. I love Kenley Jansen to death. But now is the time where we can't put him out there. And it's a good thing that it happened. And the Dodgers still came out with a win. And even Joe Kelly, who Dave Roberts brought in in relief of Jansen, nearly walked in the game tying run. I was listening on the radio. My blood pressure was sky high. I was losing my shit in my car. And every single time Charlie Steiner uttered a word, I felt like it was Joe Kelly delivers the pitch ball in the dirt. But he somehow got Eric Hosmer to roll one over. Dodgers win 6-5, take a 2-0 series lead. Let's close it out on Thursday night. So the Dodgers announced Dustin May as their starter for Game 3. Dustin May goes one inning. 
I'm not a fan of the opener. That's what they call it these days. I believe the Tampa Bay Rays are one of the teams that started this. I don't know. A lot of teams probably do it when they don't have good enough starting pitching. But listen, Dustin May is a horse. This guy is going to be a Clydesdale in this league. He can be a number one guy on a lot of staffs. He should not be an opener. So they let him go one inning for whatever reason. It was to face Tatis and Manny Machado in the first inning. I just, I don't I don't understand it. So they take May out after the first inning. Kolarik comes in. The lefty hasn't pitched since September 26. Had a hell of a year, though. I trust that guy on the mound most days. Probably late in the game, not the second inning. So he pitches, comes in in the second inning. And then all of a sudden, again, the bases are loaded. He intentional walks Will Myers with the bases loaded. Then gives up a single to Trent Grisham. And San Diego goes up 2-1. to one. And then with the bases loaded, Fernando Tatis coming to the plate. Dave Roberts said, okay, Cleric, I'm taking the ball from you. Julio Urias in the bullpen looks ready. He can eat up a bunch of innings for us. Here's the ball, Julio, go get him. And on four pitches, Julio gets the job done. Gets Fernando Tatis out. And Julio Urias, folks, if we're talking about value, he might be the most valuable Los Angeles Dodger at this point. He comes in and faces Fernando Tatis, one of the most Young feared hitters in the game. Gets him out. And San Diego's already up 2-1 at this point. That's a point you could look at in this game and go, holy shit, Julio Urias got the biggest out of the game. The biggest out came in the second inning. Sometimes that ninth inning, that 27th out isn't the hardest to get. It could be out number six, which this was, out of the 27 outs. And Julio Urias was called upon to get it, and he got it. And he got a hell of a lot more than that. He came in, gave up one unearned run. The first 10 batters he faced, he retired. He struck out six over five innings of work, and he only gave up one hit. This was his second win that he's gotten already in the postseason. You know what he's done this postseason so far? One unearned unearned run, four hits, 11 strikeouts, over eight innings, two wins. And he's called upon not to start games, but to come in whenever The hell Dave Roberts calls his name, and he's got it done every time. This guy is the most valuable Dodger so far this postseason. The Dodgers wrecked the San Diego Padres after falling behind 2-1 in this one. They scored five runs in the third, one in the fourth, one in the fifth, and four in the ninth. End up winning 12-3. Let's go. San Diego swept straight out of Texas back to San Diego. The fans who are cheering like they won a World Series come again next year. Come swing it again next year. And I love this quote more than anything from The Wire. Come at the king you best not miss. Let me say it again for you. Come at the king you best not miss. San Diego's got to try harder next year. Maybe try to get another ace. Maybe make a couple more trades to compete. You guys were fun, but you guys aren't up to the level that the Dodgers are at. And I thought people falling in love with you guys too early was going to be a problem. And it ended up being a problem. So now the Dodgers got to gear up for a seven-game National League Championship Series with the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves swept the Miami Marlins. They swept the Cubs in the best of three. They're also 5-0 and going into this one. Their pitching's been great over 49 innings. I think they have a sub-1 ERA. But this year in the regular season, they had one of the worst ERAs in all of baseball. But in the postseason so far against the Cubs, whose offense is anemic, and then against the Miami Marlins, 
who we thought was a fun story. Who's the guy that you can name in that lineup that you're fearing? There isn't. So if we're going to talk about Atlanta's pitching, let's see how they do against the Dodgers lineup. It's going to be a great series. The Braves are sneaky. Their lineup is good. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of Freddie Freeman, who's in the running for the most valuable player in the National League. Marcelo Zuna, who can get hot. Obviously, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Albies. They are a good baseball team. First time they've reached the ALCS since 2001. This is the Dodgers' fourth NLCS in the last five years. Excuse me, NLCS. So let's go. I'm fired up. In the other series, unfortunately, I have to tell you guys that the Houston Astros beat the Oakland A's in a best of five in four games. They're hitting the ball all over the place. Springer hits the ball out of Dodger Stadium, it seems like, every time he goes to bat. Carlos Correa's pimping home runs. Still chirping. So they advance to the American League Championship Series. No one's happy about it. And the team they will face will be decided tonight on Friday night. The Yankees and Rays will play Game 5 of the Best of 5 to decide who will take on the Houston Astros. And whoever wins is America's team for next week because no one wants to see the Houston Astros in the World Series. And I'm not even going to mention, I'm not even going to mention if the Houston Astros face my team in the World Series. Not until it happens. I don't want it to happen. If it does happen, fire me up. I will love it more than any series that's ever been played. I'm going to be locked in. So what else do we talk about? I'm going to give some picks. Like always, I'm going to give you some NFL picks this week. And I'm going to see how I do. Last night, Thursday night football, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers took on the Chicago Bears. And the big story in that one was Tom Brady versus Nick Foles. We know what Nick Foles did in the 2017 Super Bowl when he threw for a billion yards against the New England Patriots and found a way to win that one. So now he's the Chicago Bears starting quarterback. And it was an all it was a good game. Heavily defensive game. The final score was 20 to 19. The Bears won it late. Tampa Bay loses to an actually decent football team. A team with a good defense, subpar offense, but Tampa Bay. Are things gonna start crumbling down? They're three and two at this point. I don't think they have anything to worry about. But hey, I told you guys last week, they beat up on some very poor football teams. And I took the Bears plus five and a half last night because I think the Bears defense will keep them in every single game this year. And that's exactly what happened. And they kept them in it late enough for them to kick a game-winning field goal. Let's go. So what games do I pick this week? You got the Carolina Panthers taking on the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons are minus one and a half. We saw what Ted, Teddy Bridgewater did last week. The Carolina Panthers are two and two. The Atlanta Falcons are 0 and four. The Falcons at some point have to stumble into a win, right? Right? They have to win. They're playing the Panthers at home. Who knows if they're going to win? Who knows if Dan Quinn's going to be hired as head coach next week? One coach has already been fired. I think everything's going to start to fall. I seriously believe if Atlanta doesn't win this week against Carolina, since already Bill O'Brien was fired, I think Arthur Blank will finally fire Dan Quinn as head coach if the Falcons start 0-5. You got the Raiders going into Kansas City. Kansas City, Kansas City heavily favored, minus 11.5. The Rams favored by 7.5 on the road against Washington football team. Here's a game I want to highlight because Dwayne Haskins has been placed on the bench 
and not even second string quarterback for the Washington football team. He is third string, which means he might not even suit up. Kyle Allen's going to get the start, was a quarterback last year for Carolina when Cam went down, but here's the big one. Second string quarterback in this game who will probably be suited up, most likely suited up. I think you have to be suited up if you're the second string quarterback. That's Alex Smith. And I talked about this story when there were no sports going on, but this story should be talked about because Alex Smith almost lost his life due to a knee injury, bacteria getting inside, nearly lost his leg. And somehow, some way, he is still playing professional football. And this week, if, starts, if things start going south for Kyle Allen, potentially Alex Smith can get back into a football game. And it's already amazing that he's still even on a roster. I mean, that, that dude is a warrior. If you haven't watched the E60, it's an amazing story. But in that game, minus seven and a half, I don't even know if I'm going to touch that. There's some big spreads this week. Too many big spreads for me. You got the Jaguars taking on the Houston Texans. Here we go. Texans at home, minus five and a half. For no other reason than I just think it's probably a stat, is I'm going to take the Texans minus five and a half coming off their coach being fired. I think they're motivated. Romeo Cornell is the interim head coach right now. I think they're going to play inspired football. J.J. Watt, apparently it came out this week that he had a blow-up with Bill O'Brien. He was probably pissed off. No one wants to play on a shitty football team that's 0-4 with talent like Deshaun Watson leading the way and J.J. Watt on the defensive side. So minus 5.5 Texans at home. Hammer it because Bill O'Brien's out. They got a new head coach. They're fired up. Minus 5.5 Texans. That's my first game. And then you got the Philadelphia Eagles plus 7 going on the road to Steelers. Steelers haven't played in a week because their game was canceled last week. I'm not going to touch that one. Then you got the Bengals plus 13 going into Baltimore. Not going to touch that one, even though I think Baltimore probably covers a 13-point spread. Dolphins, it's a pick 'em, A pick 'em between the Dolphins and, oh, no. What am I doing? I'm losing my shit. Dolphins are plus nine at San Francisco. I'm taking that one. Please give me that one. Fitzpatrick, he'll keep you in the football game. I'm going to probably regret saying that, but Ryan Fitzpatrick, Miami Dolphins, plus nine going into San Francisco. Probably C.J. Beathard's the quarterback. Looked good for about two minutes. I don't know how he plays for four quarters. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Miami Dolphins, even kept it close last week against Seattle. Plus nine. Thank you very much. Let's go. Let's get my third pick. The pick that I was talking about is Cleveland and Indianapolis. Cleveland's coming off hot. They're 3-1 and one for the first time since 2001. Indy looks good with Phillip Rivers, at quarterback. They got a good defense. That'll probably It's a high-scoring team against a pretty good defense. I don't know about that one. I'm going to skip it. And then Sunday night football. You got the Minnesota Vikings going into Seattle. Plus 7.5 Vikings. I am going to go... Minus seven and a half, Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. Yes, thank you very much. I'm excited to watch that one. Let Russ cook. Let him cook. Let him win by two touchdowns. Plus, I know they had trouble last week. I know the Vikings are coming off of finally winning a football game. They got a tougher, they got a great receiver over there, Justin Jefferson out of LSU. He's fun to watch. Seattle's defense hasn't been good this season. But Russell Wilson, minus seven and a half, taking on Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Thank you. So there it is. My three picks for the week. Seattle at home, minus seven and a half over the the Vikings. How do I how do I forget these things so easily? I forget them. I just talked about it two minutes ago and I already forget. I got Seattle minus seven and a half at home against the Minnesota Vikings. Houston Texans minus five and a half at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And my third pick is oh my god. 
Jesus. Miami Dolphins on the road in San Francisco plus nine. Let's go. And for college football this week, if you need to watch some game, it's probably Texas versus Oklahoma, but there's a sneaky night game. Clemson's been very good. Trevor Lawrence looks like he's, has he thrown an interception this year? I know the competition hasn't been up to the billing, but Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson Tigers are taking on the Miami Hurricanes, who have looked very good this year. Miami's quarterback, Tarek King, is pretty damn good to watch, fun to watch. So I think Miami versus Clemson's going to be a good game. I think that's the nightcap ABC game. And then I think you have Lane Kiffin, of course, taking on Nick Saban, Ole Miss versus Alabama. Alabama will probably trounce. He had a funny interview on Dan Patrick this week saying that he knew the spread was 24 and a half. They're probably going to get their asses kicked. Lane Kiffin has became a likable guy. I don't know who taught this guy how to do interviews because he was probably the most hated man at one point. I mean, USC fired him and left him at the airport. That's how much of respect they had for him, which is zero. But Lane Kiffin is pretty damn funny. I don't know. And he's good on social media. This guy took a class somewhere. I want to know who helped Lane Kiffin come full circle and become a likable dude. Because it seemed like that was no chance, no way in hell that was happening. Well, those are the college games to keep an eye on this weekend. I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. Have the victory beers for the Lakers. Get fired up for the series with the Dodgers and Braves that begins next Monday night. Root for the team that's playing against the Houston Astros because God forbid we can't have them in the World Series. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at 10 after 7 or on the Instagram at 10 underscore after underscore 7. I'm out. Woo. Go Dodgers. Thank you.